Hey everybody, welcome to our bonus episode, affectionately referred to as our boner episode, <laughs> called Deep Dive with Tommy and Ben. If this is your first time listening to Ask Your Gay Uncle, you might want to start with one of our other episodes. We originally recorded this as a trial run for the podcast, and it turned out to be kind of like an extended gunkle to gunkle. And just so you know, it's a bit heavier than our normal episodes. We talk about child sex abuse and some really, really rough shit. The audio isn't perfect, but there's some deeply meaningful content in there that we wanted to share with you. Grab a whiskey and your favorite blanket and listen to Deep Dive with Tommy and Ben. Ask your gay uncle, 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 ask him all the questions that you have in your brain. Ask your gay uncle, you know that your uncle will do his very best to explain. He'll do his very best to explain. Three, two, one. Hi, I'm Ben Palacios, and I am a gay uncle as of, well, exactly almost one year ago. My older sister just had her first son, Connor, which makes me a gay uncle. And I am Tom Truss. I am a gay uncle to Benjamin Palacios, and I am a gay great uncle to Connor. What do we call that? Grigunkle? A grigunkle, yes. So I'm a gunkle to you yeah. and a grigunkle to Connor. And I have been a gunkle for 30 years now. And Tommy, did you have, for the record, did you have a gay uncle or have you? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I only have one uncle and he died in the 40s, 50s. Uh, and he, he, you know, he's sexy as all fuck. So I just want to say he's, he's gay. Was he? Um, Wait, was he? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Oh yeah. You should you see, I'll, I'll take a, because I've got a picture of him in his uniform for World War Two. Yeah. He's beautiful. Just beautiful. <laughs> I love that. Like 20 seconds into our Ask a Gay Uncle podcast, we're talking about how hot your gay uncle was. <laughs> You're like not even gay uncle, just like your potential. I know, right, right. This is my fantasy gay uncle. You know, I mean, Richard Richard was married. Richard had kids. Richard died in a plane accident. He. Do you not know this story, Ben? I know that he died in a plane accident, but I, I didn't know anything else about him. Yeah, so he was a pilot. And Susie, his sister, my mother, your grandmother, um, thinks that he might have committed suicide. Um, yeah, oh. that he might have uh, purposefully had his plane disappear. Does what is her reasoning behind that? What would, would what would be his motive? Oh, I have no idea. Although at one point, mom said that she thought Richard might have been gay, and that was why he downed his plane. God, that's so awful. Bye bye, Gunkle. Tommy. <laughs> Even though you're not my gay uncle, I do have some questions that I can ask you, but you are the nephew and I think you have to go first. We actually sort of almost already addressed the first question. And my first question is, have you ever had any gay uncle type figure in your life? Uh, going back to Susie, um, I think she was a gay uncle. No. Um, <laughs> your mom was your gay uncle? <laughs> I know. She kind of is a gay uncle, isn't she? Yeah, she is kind of. I want you to elaborate on that because these people who are listening don't know Susie. So like, what about Susie makes her a gay uncle? What do you mean by that? 
So a gay uncle is someone who, yeah, as I'm, as I'm about to describe this, I'm like, oh God, that's not Susie. And I don't want that to be my mother. Uh, but I think one of the problems is, is that she was a gay uncle and wasn't a mother. Oh, wow. You know, more of a friend, someone who you could share anything with. Um, someone who might push your boundaries more than your parents would, um, might challenge you in different ways that your parents would, um, might have a broader sense of permission, of acceptability than what your parents do. There's a different expectation that the nephew or the niece has with that uncle and vice versa. I, as an uncle will have a different expectation of you than I would of my own children. And I would, pro and I would treat, I would treat you guys differently than I probably would my own child. So are you saying that like you wish Susie had been more of a mother to you than like a, than like a especially permissive sort of uncle figure? Yes. Yes. I think, I think Susie wanted to be my friend as opposed to my mother. Was she like that with um, all of her kids, like my mom and Tori and Julie? The other no, two? yeah, no, uh, uh. I think partly because I'm the only boy. Um, I mean, there are a few reasons here. Because I'm the only boy. Because I'm the youngest. Um, because I'm a homosexual. No, I don't know if that's true. Um, you can't be on this Ask a Gay Uncle podcast if you don't know whether it's true you're a homosexual, Tommy. Oh, that's true. Okay, I am. Commit. I it's am. time to commit. That I do know is You true. just turned, it's what, 60? It's time to commit. 59. 59. 59. <laughs> yeah. No, what I'm saying is not true is if Susie treated me differently because, I was, because I'm gay. Um, I don't think that's true. What I think is true is, is that she wanted men to be a certain way, and she wasn't getting that with my dad, your grandfather. Um, she wasn't getting the kind of relationship she wanted with him. And so she tried to get it with me. Uh, and I remember at one point, I don't remember what happened, but I did something. And she said, oh, I thought I raised you to be different than that. I thought I raised you to be a different man than that. And I remember thinking, what the fuck? You raised me to be a man? Why not just raise me to be who I am? Whatever that is. Now I want to know what you did. Oh, I don't know. I ran over the dog. I don't know what I did. <laughs> the truth comes out. <laughs> yeah. No, I have no idea. You know, I must have done something where I challenged her. I mean, that's what it really would have been. But why Why do you think she said, I thought I raised you to be a different man? Was it like, was the implication that you did something that was not her definition of masculine? Oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't about a definition of masculine. Yeah, thank you for asking that. No, I, it, I'm sure what I did was something that was hurtful to her. You know, if I sort of reach back into the uh, historical file of all the horrible things I've done to human beings, um, <laughs> you know, I, at one point I wrote a letter to Susie Truss. Oh, the letter. Uh, I've heard about this letter. <laughs> this is a legendary letter. <laughs> okay. What do you know about the letter? I want to hear what you know about the letter. Uh, I, I guess at one point in your life, you were like taking stock of your childhood and it was probably a point in your life, if I had to guess, it was maybe like late 20s or something. And it was maybe around the time that you were like really coming to terms with your um, sexual identity and you were taking stock of your childhood and the way that you were raised by Susie, my grandmother, and Tom, my grandfather, your parents. And you wrote them a letter. And I think it was especially aimed at Susie, but I'm not sure. <laughs> it basically was a letter like listing all of the th ways they did you wrong. 
Yeah, I, that's right. Yes, it was. It was not an identity crisis. It was more of we have vilified my dad being an alcoholic, and I was triangulated with my mother, my father, and me, and that poisoned is too strong a word, but that tainted my connection with my father. Um, the fact that you and Susie had vilified grandpa? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was a letter saying that, and it was directed just to, just to, just to mom, just to Susie, that, that um, where were you? Where were you when he was doing these things? You know, what was going on? And you are complicit in it because you were a part of the relationship. And we can't say that he was the, you know, he was the bad guy and have you be um, absolved of any, you know, it's not, it's not ill doing. It's just that it's just that absolved of any responsibility in, in the situation or the negative upbringing. Okay. So I had the whole context of this letter wrong. So this letter was about you calling Susie out for how she um, used grandpa as like a scapegoat or something like that. Yeah. It wasn't about how she did you wrong in any way. Well, it was, the implication was there. The big takeaway of it is where were you? Where were you when this was going on? And I'm sure that's what prompted her to say, I thought I raised you to be different than this kind of man. So in a way, this letter that you wrote to Susie was your way at the time of saying, I wish I had a mom, not a gay uncle. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll buy that. It feels slightly cited for the, the this show that we're doing. Um, but, you know, it was breaking ties. It was breaking ties. Breaking ties. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important thing to do. Why did you why did you write the letter? What was the what was the purpose behind it? Like what was your goal with writing the letter? Just to get this off your chest? Was it like you had gone to therapy and someone was like your therapist was like, This is <laughs> what should, you need to do? You should write your mother a letter but about don't everything send she it. did wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you were like, wait, I wasn't supposed to send it? <laughs> what? What? You didn't tell Oops. me that. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I sent it and I sent a copy to Tori, Ann, and Julie. Oh, this was like a public Tori, Ann, and Julie, your sisters. Yes. Yeah. And I actually have the letter. I want to read this letter. I oh think, my God. I think you should read this letter in the podcast. Right. Would you be willing to do that? I totally would. Absolutely. I am fascinated by this legendary letter. I've literally heard, <laughs> I feel like every like three years, you know what? If I was eight, maybe that was the first time I heard about it. Because I remember being in um, Susie and Grandpa's house before they left like ages ago. Yeah. And I remember hearing something about a letter and like everybody getting really quiet. And I'm sure Susie was the one who brought it up. It was probably when it had just happened. And then I remember, I feel like as a teenager hearing about it again, and then maybe even just like five years ago <laughs> at the beach house, Susie saying something about like, oh, well, you know, Tommy wrote this letter about something. Anyway, wow, this legendary letter. Well, clearly, you know, clearly it stung her deeply, deeply. You know, if she, if, if she brought it up 20 years later give me like one minute i have to pee again i had so much caffeine (laughs) this is definitely making it into the podcast go ahead and ask your gay uncle all right what did you tell everybody while i was peeing what did i tell everybody i said i'm gonna get up and move around i tasted some beans that i cooking and i tasted them i said this is awful (laughs) (laughs) and i added more salt to it and then i sat down 
and you weren't there. And then I got really excited and said, I'm going to get some chocolate. So I went off and got some chocolate. Wow, you did a lot while I was peeing. Okay, so the question, have you ever had a gay uncle type figure in your life at any point? We've decided that Susie wasn't actually your gay uncle upon fully investigating that topic. We've decided she wasn't. So who was your gay uncle figure? I didn't have one. What is a gay uncle? Let's talk about what a gay uncle is, Tommy. In my mind, they have a relationship with you that is maybe part friend, but it's more uh, like parental than friend, probably. Almost like a mentor. I I see it as like a mentor. That's Uh the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Someone that you feel like you could be vulnerable with and ask any questions and get honest answers that are not filtered in the way that like your parents' answers might be filtered when you're having conversations about relationships or sex or anything like that. I feel like a gay uncle is going to be completely unfiltered and honest and speak from the heart. Yeah. That sounds right to me. That's what I tried to do. I I could be in contact with you guys a bit more, but whatever. (laughs) Well, then that begs the question, what's the difference between an uncle and a gay uncle (laughs) besides who they fuck? Well, that's that's hard for me to answer because I don't have any straight uncles. You're my only uncle and you're also my gay uncle. Well, go go stereotypical. I don't I don't think I want to go stereotypical because I don't think that's fair. I think like if I had a straight uncle, I would imagine they would be a role model for me and I would be friends with them. But I wouldn't go to them to talk about gay advice or relationships or sex or anything like that in the way that I would with you. Right. And that's really what the difference is. It's like someone who is a mentor who you look up to and is older and more experienced and can relate to you in an aspect of your identity and life that probably nobody else in your life can relate to. Hmm. That's so interesting. I I have two thoughts. One is when you said a straight uncle, the first thing you said was role model. Uh, And you didn't say that with the gay uncle, which I think is really interesting. (laughs) Did you take that personally? (laughs) Um, No, no, I didn't take it personally at all. I I would say you were like, you didn't want to have stereotypes, but it seems to me that you might have slipped into having a stereotype there. Like, why is it that that a gay (laughs) uncle would not be a role model? Is this my version of the letter? Did I just write you my letter (laughs) by not calling you my role model? You you absolutely have been a role model for me. Are you unwrapping your candy again, Tommy? Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's so damn loud. Yes. It's so damn loud. This is why they tell you before the performance to unwrap your fucking candy. Okay, it's unwrapped. Done. God damn it. You're like one of those little old ladies with their like Werther's Originals. I am. I am. Except this is organic, brown butter, dark chocolate. Put your fucking chocolate away while we do our podcast, Tommy. Oh, it's so good. Okay, so the second part of my question, now that we've defined um, what a gay uncle is and uh, clarified that you'd never had a gay uncle at any point in your life. um, If you had had a gay uncle as a kid. Hmm what would you have wanted to talk to them about? And how would that have changed your life, I guess? Oh, Ben. I mean, that's just huge for me. (laughs) Yeah, I cannot tell you how big that is. I think, I mean, the first thing would have been, I got sexually abused by a man. What happened? Why did that happen? How to, so for people listening, how old were you? I was 11. Um, and I was on my paper route and this guy pulled up and asked me for directions and I showed him 
I got in his car and showed him where he needed to go. Um, and, and things went from there. I mean, I'm fine go going specific. It doesn't matter to me if we go into it or not. Um, but I, I to, you know, to answer your question, I, you know, I didn't tell anybody. I told my best friend Donald and he said, I'm sorry. And that was it. Cause like, what is an 11 year old supposed to do with that information? Exactly. Exactly. And so my hope is, is that I have put out the vibe that you could come talk to me about anything free of judgment. Yeah, you totally have. You absolutely have. So did Susie put that vibe out with you? Your mom, no. Susie? No. Did you tell her at the time? No, 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 no. I didn't tell mom or dad. No, they didn't know about it until, I, you know, I did a solo I did a dance. <laughs> a, oh, Jesus. You recapped it in a dance piece later on. Oh, in yeah. Life. Oh, and yeah. Like, wait, was that dance piece about? No, oh, I, I told them ahead of time. Oh, no. Oh, wow. And it's when your mom found out because she came to see the show. And it's when uh, Susie found out. And I don't even know if dad came to see the oh, show. Oh, my God. I have this memory of my mom telling me that she once saw you do a dance piece where you were naked and she was really uncomfortable. Is that the dance yeah. piece? No, that was a different one. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, hold on, but I want to get back to this because I want to, because we're yes. talking about how if you had had a gay uncle as a kid, how that would have changed the aftermath of um, you being on your paper route and getting in that man's car and everything that he did to you. So, I, I, I would have had someone to talk about it, Ben. Here is probably one of the most pivotal events that ever happened to me in my life, certainly top five. And I didn't talk about it. I didn't talk about it for years. But Tommy, I think what I want to get at is what makes you think that having had a gay uncle at the time, you would have spoken to him about it? Because I'm just trying to put myself in, like, go back in time in my Rolodex of memory of like, oh, when I was 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, I didn't talk to you about anything about my sexual identity or any sexual experiences that I had. Wait a minute. You had sexual experiences at that age? Absolutely. I had I had gay sexual experiences as a teenager, and I never would have told you about them. Right. At the time. I mean, I'm fine talking about them now, but I don't yeah. think I talked to you about any... any th I think the first time I said anything to you about it was when I was a senior in college, and I... You wrote me a letter. I wrote you not a letter, but I wrote you an email basically being <laughs> like, hey, there's this guy who's a freshman in my dance class, my modern dance class, and his name is Gabriel, and I think he's... Uh, amazing and i want to ask him out because i think i am into guys um how do i do that mike with the question i was asking you for advice about how to ask a guy out because i was like tommy you'll know what to do <laughs> yeah yeah but i never you know when i was like i guess i was 14 or 15 and uh this guy i knew i was we were drunk and he like started going down on me and i started crying like i never would have told you about that wow not that I wouldn't have felt comfortable. I guess I could have, but it just never would have occurred to me. My biggest fear was that anybody would find out. So the last thing I would have thought of was to tell you. Ben, was your fear that they would find out that someone did something to you or that you were gay? I, at the time, I didn't think I was gay. Uh, I knew that I was, to an extent, attracted to guys, but I didn't think I was gay. And um, I think my biggest fear was that anybody would find out that I had had this 
gay sexual experience. I think that's what it was. My biggest fear was that I was, I'm like, I cried myself to sleep that night. Both of us did. I thought I was going to go to school the next day and everybody was going to know. I mean, it was so illogical. I don't know, like, literally nobody else knew. But in my mind, I was like, I'm going to get to school and everybody's going to look at me and know just by looking at me that this happened. Right. And and just so you know, like, anyone who's had any kind of sexual experience, you know, someone loses their virginity, like, that's what they think. Yeah. You know, oh, everyone's going to know. But so what I'm saying is... Nobody if knows. I If that happened to me when I was 15... And it wasn't abuse in any way. It wasn't, you know, like what happened to you was right. was like st- statutory rape. Uh, it was child abuse. It was, I, I don't actually know how you'd categorize it, but it was, you know. And what happened to me was just a teenage sexual experience with someone my age. Um, right. And if I didn't feel comfortable mentioning that to you, my gay uncle, who's like the gold standard of gay uncles. <laughs> what makes you think that as an 11 year old, you would have talked to a gay uncle that you might have had at the time? I, I don't know for certain, you know, but I would have had a better chance, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, it's sexual experiences are private, whether they are wanted or unwanted. There's a sense of privacy there. And I think Partly because of that, there's a sense of shame and secrecy. And so we, especially in this country, and especially with homosexuals um, and lesbians or anyone who's not heterosexual, that there is a sense of shame and judgment. And so there's going to be most likely fear around it. And I would say that would be for heterosexuals as well. You know, we have we have loaded it as such a huge thing that it's a rare person, I think, who um, would be okay talking about it freely after their first encounter. And and I would say talking about it in a heartfelt way as opposed to like claiming like, yo, I fucked that bitch, you know, <laughs> that that it's like- That comes, that sounds so awkward coming out of your mouth. Yo, I fucked that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was me replicating, you know, you know, you know some... that thing that straight guys say, yo, I fucked that bitch. I've never heard a straight guy say that in my life. Yeah, I know. Fortunately. Well, I know. Right. Talk about stereotypes. Let me get back to my question, though. Um, if you had had a gay uncle as a kid, what would you have asked him? And I know it's after the fact. So, like, we can dispute whether or not you actually would have told yeah, him course. about what happened to you when you were 11. But let's say. OK, I got it. So I would say, um, should I take Donald to the prom? Aww, that just <laughs> sounds so adorable. Wait, this, and you would have asked him this as a, what, 17-year-old, as a senior? 18-year-old, yeah. As an 18-year-old. Yeah. Yep. Donald, who you told about uh, yes. what happened to yeah. you. Yeah, what happened to me. Yep, yep. Was Donald gay? Is he yes. gay? Yes, yep. Did yep. you ask him to the prom? No, Mm-mm. No, and I remember the moment. I remember the moment. Oh, my God. We were driving home from some event. We're in his car, and... Just you and Donald. Yeah. Yep. We had just dropped off Tim, who lived like five houses away from me. And then it was me. And then Donald would go home. And we were talking about the prom. And I remember sitting there and looking across the seat. He, he, he had a, um, a beige, his parents had, I think, a beige Impala, like one of those giant Buicks. And I'm on my side not wearing a seatbelt, of course, because we didn't back then. This is back when the front seats of cars was just one big bench, right? 
oh my God, it was like five people could lie down there (laughs) head to toe. And and so I'm on my side and he's like half a mile away from me on the other side. And I remember looking across and it was just this, it was like, you know, the the moment from The Shining where it was like the gulf between the, 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 the seat got bigger. And I remember thinking, ask him, ask him, ask him. And we had this long silence and then I said, okay, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. And I got out of the car. Oh, that's like a movie. Yeah. You're yeah. never going to forget. It's amazing how like burned in your memory that is. It's just like, I can oh, literally yeah. picture it. I can picture the oh, shot yeah. in the movie based on your memory. Yeah. I bet he was thinking the same thing, Tommy. I, I, I think so. I would think so. Yeah. Have you talked to him about it? Are you still in touch? No, I have never talked to him about it. And he is dead. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I will never know. But it, I know. I know. But nobody did that back then. Nobody did that. Yeah. I mean, I'm even thinking of what what year was this at this point? 1979. 1979. There's no, <laughs> there's no way. Yeah. In, like, in like Maryland, which is like basically on the Mason-Dixon line. There's no way that you would have like... No. I mean, even I can't even think of like in L.A., would that have even been acceptable in 1979? Like or San Francisco or, or, you know, or, or, Probably not. or Greenwich Village. And yeah, you know, no. I mean, I'm sure maybe somebody did somewhere and God bless them. And if they're alive, I'd be amazed. <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> congratulations. <Yeah. laughs> really? Please notify us. Please let um, us know how. It, yeah. Were you in an Impala? Right. Uh, wow. Yeah. So so I, I think I would have asked asked that um you know i was having i was having sex at a very early age and i would have talked to i mean i remember i remember the first time that somebody came in my mouth and i threw up (laughs) and i was i was in god how old was i i might have been 14 or 15 oh boy i can it's like I, don't, I, I have not told many people about this. Yeah. And, and, and now I'm telling a lot of people. Hello, so, America. Yeah. So where I went to high school, there there was a restaurant nearby that was um, had, had a gay bathroom in it. And uh, people would go in there all the time and have sex. And this was, you know, light years. This was a, a decade at least before, not at least, but it was a decade before AIDS, HIV came around. Uh, and, and so I'm 14 and I'm in this bathroom, maybe I'm 15 at this point, And I know what's going on. I've had sex there with men and there was some guy and I guess, a, you know, it's like there are blurs in this. Like my next memory is I'm out in a parking lot behind the grocery store called the Grand Union, um, just, just, you know, in the middle of Bethesda, downtown Bethesda, Maryland. And I am on my knees giving this man a blowjob. In a parking and lot behind the Grand Union? That's know, like the gayest that... name of a grocery store I've ever heard, by the way. The Grand <laughs> Union. <laughs> this was such not the Grand Union. Oh, my God. Like when I think about this, I just like go, who the fuck were you allowing a 14 year old to give you a goddamn blowjob? 
Who was this guy? I don't know. Was he, he, was, he was he a teenager? No, no. He was a, he was an, a man. You know, and, and when you're 14, someone who's 25 could be 50 and someone who's 50 could be 30. You know, that like that sense of age is, is escapes someone who's a teenager. So I have no idea how old he is. I'm surrounded by probably four men. Oh, my God. And I'm giving this guy a blowjob. And it's one of my first blowjobs I think I've ever given. And he grabs my head and he's like pounding my face. And he comes inside of me. And I threw up on his deck and on him and oh, on his pants and on his shoes. It, and the fact that this all happened in the parking lot of a grocery, like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, how did nobody I, see this? How did you feel comfortable doing this at the time, Tommy? I Like, this baffles me. Uh, my guess is we were behind, like, a dumpster or something. I don't know. I don't know. Like, my memory is I'm in this queer bathroom my next memory is i'm on my knees and this guy grabs my head and he's pounding my face and my next memory is i'm gag he's coming in my mouth and i'm gagging and throwing up and then i have i'm totally embarrassed because i've thrown up on this man and on the ground and well, on it sounds like pants. it sounds like he deserved it oh he deserved a lot more than that what a fucking yeah. creep. Yeah. And every single man who was there and complicit. Wow. You know, and like, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and we wonder why I wrote Susie a letter about why did you just... Like, where were you? Where were you? Yeah. Like, <laughs> where were these men? And I think had I had a gay uncle, I would have somehow done that thing of like, hey... Have you ever swallowed anything or what's it like or what what do you you know have you have you licked a penis or have you have you ever thrown up on somebody when they you know came down your mouth oh my god hey uncle have you ever licked a penis oh my <laughs> ah I don't know. I just like to think that I would have had someone to say something to and I'm sorry that I didn't and I think Oh, fuck. I think that's one of the reasons. I think that's one of the reasons why I have wanted to be the uncle that I am. Because I have gone through some rough shit. And I was never able to share it with anybody. At the time. And I desperately wanted you guys to know that I am there for you no matter what. I don't care what it is. And I will be there to listen. And I didn't have that. It stopped recording for a second, so I'm just going to say what I said again. I feel so fortunate uh, to have you as a gay uncle, and it sounds like you are being the gay uncle that you wish you always had. So, um, thank you. You're welcome, Ben.
Well, what else would you have asked your gay uncle besides, have you ever licked a penis? <laughs> um, I would probably have said to my gay uncle, um, I'm getting teased. What can I do about it? I think I would have, I would have asked, how do I meet people my own age? How do I know who's gay and how do I meet people my own age? I'm sure I would have asked, is it okay to come out and how do I come out? This is so interesting because I remember, like in hindsight, yes, of course. But in my experience, I had a gay uncle and um, still have a gay uncle. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember in middle school being teased, being called gay, being called a fag. And at that time, you were like the last person I would have thought to talk. I mean, I didn't talk to anybody about it, but you were the last person I would have thought to talk about it because at the time, being teased for being gay, I knew you were gay. And it was like, in a, in a weird way, I was like embarrassed about you at the time. Right. I remember having these feelings of being like, I hope my friends don't, I hope my friends don't come over when Tommy's here. We, my family had this Christmas party and, and this boy, Philip, was over with his family and you were at the Christmas party as well. And Philip leaned over and whispered to me, he said, my dad says that your uncle's gay. And I like remember my heart just like dropping into my stomach and like not knowing what to say. I was like embarrassed about you at the time. Were you embarrassed about me or were you embarrassed about you, Ben? Oh, I mean, I was embarrassed about me, of course. Yeah. But I was projecting that onto you yeah. because yeah, of course. being teased about being gay made me hate anything in myself that I thought was associated with being gay, which applied to you. Right. And I didn't hate, of course I didn't hate you. Like I've always loved you as my uncle, but I definitely think I went through a, you were always, when I was, when I was young, young, like under 10, you were like my magical, mystical unicorn uncle. <laughs> like you were just like dazzling and you are dazzling and that's how you are now. But I went through this phase when I was in like middle school where that like luster that you had sort of faded for a while because I was, I was ashamed of you. Yeah. Well, it, <clears throat> it was tarnished. Yeah. It didn't just fade. It was tarnished. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we can, we can thank society for that. Thanks Philip. But even, you know, I think it's fine to ask that question because was he asking, do you feel like he was asking it with judgment? I don't know. You know, or what, was it just sheer curiosity at the time? I think I put judgment on it, but I don't know. I've thought back a lot about, the times that I felt I was getting teased, I don't even know what percentage of them were actual teasing and what, and maybe some, maybe half the time it wasn't actually teasing and it was just honest questioning. Mm. And I right. um, interpreted as teasing because it was interpreted through my lens of like being ashamed of who I was right. or not even, I didn't even think I was, I mean, it was, I didn't even know what gay was at the time. I remember it being in middle school and like everybody was starting to like hold hands and like be dating and kissing. And this girl, Jaren, gave someone a blowjob under the stairs at school. And I remember being like, what is a blowjob? What is happening? Like I was not, I remember not feeling any kind of attraction to like anyone. And it just like was baffling to me that this stuff was going. I mean, like I was such a late bloomer <laughs> in so many ways. But um, what is sex? But um, so, can we get back to that girl who gave this kid a blowjob under the, st under the stairs? Yeah, she had a reputation. Did she throw up when her? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, she wasn't in the parking lot of a a grand union. A grand union. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. I think she was a sixth grader or a seventh grader, and he was an eighth grader. So it was like everybody was everybody was talking about it. Of course, they should. I remember Jaron once asking me if I had a a long dick. 
And I was like, uh, I don't, and I didn't have any frame of reference. And that was like the first time I thought about like what my dick might look like in comparison to other people. Wow. <laughs> and I went down this rabbit hole thinking like, what if, what if mine is like skinnier than other people's? What if mine is longer than other people's? Is that bad? What if I had no one to talk to about any of this? I mean, I guess <laughs> you had a gay uncle. You're right. I did. But I don't think I would have ever asked you about that. That's like something you ask your buddies and then you never talk about it. Exactly. I think I remember measuring my penis with Donald. Yeah, you should have taken him to the prom. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Ben, I've got a question for you. Okay, go. At times, I hate my dog. And what can I do to open up to being more loving towards Lucy? So (laughs) my dog is Lucy, and it was my parents' dog until my mother could no longer look after Lucy. So I got Lucy. Okay, for frame of reference of anybody uh, listening, she's 18. She used to be this cute little fluffy Bichon frise, as cute as Bichons can be. And now she's this like haggard, blind. She only has like maybe 20% of the hair left on her body. She has a rat tail. She's got warts that bleed. She's so gross. (laughs) She's disgusting. She's disgusting. My friend comes over and she goes, you are the ugliest animal I've ever seen. And I loved you so much. Your question is, how can you have love for Lucy when sometimes you hate her? Yeah, hate is too strong a word. But when when I, I have no patience for her. I think the answer is you don't have to have love for your pet or anybody in your life mm. 24-7. Mm. I don't think that's necessary. I think it's okay. Even if you're in love with someone and you're in a relationship, with, I, th- I think it's okay not to love them every moment of every day. You're going to be frustrated with the people and animals in your life at times. You're going to resent them. You're going to get angry at them and vice versa. And I think that's okay. That's great advice, Ben. That's great advice. I think one of the things that was implied in what Susie said around, I thought I raised you to be different than that. The way I interpreted it, and I think the hidden message behind it is, I thought I raised you to always love me. Mm. And so here I am expecting myself to always love Lucy, which is, that's a horrible expectation. I mean, it's, it's, it's an expectation that's, that is going to inherently fail. People run into this issue where they expect themselves to feel something. And the, the second you are requiring or expecting yourself to feel anything, you're setting yourself up for failure. Okay. Never beat yourself up for not feeling like you think you should feel about something. That would be my advice. And just be honest about how you feel. Yes. And if Lucy's making you angry, tell her. Be honest. I do. I definitely say that. Be like, Lucy, you're fucking do. pissing me off. I hate you right now, yeah. but we're stuck together yeah. and let's find a way to make this work. Or Lucy, I need some time yeah. away from you. I'm going to put you in another room. Yeah. Oftentimes what I'll do is I'll go, oh my God, you're such a dumb dog, which is not fair. <laughs> she's, a, she's slightly blind and slightly deaf. <laughs> you know, I mean, really like, here's an example. We'll go down the stairs from my apartment 999 times out of a thousand we go out and we go to the right and the other day we came down the stairs and she like went off to the left and i don't know why it bugged me but it bugged me it was a coronavirus moment let's just say that it was the coronavirus sneaking out of me and i got angry at my dog instead i think the other thing to keep in mind is you know lucy better than anybody else at the moment right And you know what she's capable of and you know how old she is. And like any being in your life, 
if you know how they always are and how they always behave, don't expect any different from them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, don't expect her to be a dog that's not 18 and covered in warts and bleeding and <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> because then you're really setting yourself up for disappointment. Yeah, that's true. If you expect her to be something she's not. Yeah. Did you just hear that? I took a bite of my chocolate. Did you hear it go clunk? Yeah, I did. I heard you crunch it. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to add that to the letter of things, the ways you wronged me, eating chocolate during our fucking podcast. <laughs> okay, let's go deeper. Hit me. Okay. Um why am I single? That's such a hard question. I know. I'm single, so I don't really know how to answer that. Why why do I think you're single? Um I think the predominant force in you being single is that you are gay and i think that gay people are less likely to settle down than straight people i think that's the main reason i don't think it has anything to do with you not wanting to be in a relationship or being open to it i think you are and you have been in relationships Mm -hmm. long ones i -hmm. mean you and steve dated nine years no no seven seven and dated i wouldn't say dated i would say we were partners why did you and steve break up um, is there any is, is do you think there's any answer that might lie in there no um we broke up because he was a cocaine addict oh god no i'm kidding <laughs> oh my god tommy you can't do that to me i didn't know that <laughs> no we broke up because i was not in love with him okay and it was time for us to end and he would agree with that okay absolutely do you fall in yeah. love easily tommy have you been in love since you were with steve no. And I, I wish, and I have not been in love before that. So maybe that's the answer to your question. Maybe that's why you're single, because you haven't fallen in love since then. Well, hello. Yeah, that's like fucking obvious. No, but do you put yourself in positions to fall in love? Are you open to it? Are you talking like missionary position? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think that might be our answer, Tommy. <laughs> no, I put myself out there. I, you know, I mean, what do you mean by do I put myself in positions to fall in love? Tommy, you live in the middle of nowhere in the Berkshires. Ben, I lived in Washington, D.C. I lived in San Francisco. I lived in Seattle. I lived in um, Wellington, New Zealand, Austin, Texas, New York City. Like the gayest places in the world, basically. Yeah. Like if I had lived in Judy Garland's house, I would not have been around <laughs> <laughs> more homosexuals. Um. When you put yourself in positions to meet people, what does that look like? Are you going on dates? Are you hooking up with people? I had three dates like a month ago. Oh. With three different guys. How did they go? Did you have any second dates? Let's see. Yes, yes, and yes. Okay. You know, one of them is in a relationship. That's not going to work out. So that's just going to be a, a fuck buddy. Okay. You know. So take him off the table. He's off the table, but, you know, it's a hot table to be on. Let me just tell you. Okay. Um, oh, oh, yeah. That's, I've had some of the best sex with this guy than I've had with anybody. And it's so interesting, Ben. Like, the sex that I've had in the past, like, two months has been the best sex I've ever had in my life. Wow. 59 is doing well for you. It's so great. Tommy, it sounds to me like the reason why you're not in a relationship right now is because even just from talking to you about these three people that you've dated, the one person that you have more to say about is the one that you've had amazing sex with you with and is unavailable. It seems like you care more about 
having great sex on the table with this guy. Wait, did you do it on a table? <laughs> Let's see. On a table, in a car, by a box. Like, what is it? <laughs> it's green eggs and ham? Just everywhere but a Grand Union parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, how about we go to the Grand? You're like, no. No, we're done. No. It's over. Well, I think there could be a little bit of truth in there in terms of availability, right? Like he's not available. And so that's who I'm drawn to. You're more drawn to people who are unavailable. Oh, uh, yes. I mean, that's just like universal. I'm like that as well. Yes. Yes, it is. In some ways. So I think that's your answer. That's the answer to your question. Yeah, you know, I don't, that feels way too simple to me. I want something specific. Oh, come on. Now you're just like. Now you're just like deflecting your answer. You just going, you know, uh, 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 that tells me everything I need to know. (laughs) I think you're drawn to people who are unavailable and that's what you need to work on. If you want to be in a relationship, you need to prioritize only interactions with people that are dates that are that are going to potentially lead to a relationship. So you need to stop seeing this guy and having amazing sex on the table with him because everyone else is going to pale in comparison because because he's your barometer at the moment. Right. Yep. There's your answer. Tough love from your gay Uncle Ben. (laughs) Go ahead and ask your gay uncle. You know what my best friend Max once said to me? He's Max is like, he's a straight guy and he's awesome. I was asking him for relationship advice once and I was looking for a relationship and I was open to it. I said, Max... Like, what is what is it about you? What do you do? What is that? What is this vibe that you put out that like you're never, ever single? Like Max, Max would be single for like two weeks and then he would like suddenly date someone for four years. And I saw this as like his superpower. Um, and he said to me, he was like, Ben, the second you decide and commit to the fact that you're only interested in a relationship, you will stop pursuing situations and people that don't lead to that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, are you, do you have hookup buddies? Are you on apps or whatever, you know, spending time with people that aren't interested in relationships? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, don't. Because every minute you spend doing that is time that you're not spending looking for a relationship. And you're closing that part of yourself off. And so has that worked for you? At the time, it did work for me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Let's see, I like deleted my grinder. I was on OkCupid and I was very clear with people when in the first messages. You know, if someone said only looking for hookups or only da 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 I didn't meet them. I didn't even consider them. And it was like two weeks after he said that to me, I met my ex and uh, we dated for a year. So that's my advice for you, Tommy, is, uh, you know, like let's say you're in a room and there's eight doors, right? And only one of them leads to a relationship. You keep opening and looking through and peering through and entering all the other doors. Stop looking in those doors. Okay, we're going with this um, metaphor, which I don't think is such a great one, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I'm in this room. There are eight doors. Is the door labeled long-term relationship? No, you have to suss it out. But some of the doors... So then I have to open up all the doors until I find the one that is... But Tommy, but Tommy, the issue is you keep opening the doors once you find out that there's not a (laughs) long-term relationship in that room. You keep opening that door to check. It's like when there's no food in your fridge and you keep opening it to see if food appears. How do you know I do that? I do that with the fridge. Do you really? You do it with the doors. Yeah. 
oh my god, I do that all the time. I'll be like, I'm hungry. Maybe something, maybe I didn't see that there was some takeout in the back. Maybe there will be a jar of peanut butter that I can just like use with a spoon. You know what I mean? I think that's what you're doing. You keep opening these doors. Why do you keep seeing this guy and having I'm sex not, on a okay, table? Ben, you've created this whole story that I keep seeing this. <laughs> uh, we've seen each other twice. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And tell me about the other two people. You didn't even say anything else, anything else no, about didn't. them. One of them, um, uh, I'm not sure I'm attracted to him. I like him, but I'm not sure I'm attracted to him. And we're still hanging out. Uh, and I'm d- discovering that. Uh, and then the other guy who I, I actually was the most attracted to uh, and seemed the most compatible with uh, has dropped out. He has ghosted me, as they say. Yeah, this guy sounds lame. He's not. He's not. But something has happened. You know, I don't know. Like, here's a question. Do I just go, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. How are you? Do you have the coronavirus? <laughs> oh, God. Love in the time of coronavirus. I mean, do you do that? Do you call people? It's like not call them on their shit. But I will say to somebody, hey, it doesn't seem like we're, we're the right match. It was nice chatting with you. Good luck in your adventure. You know, like I let people know. I do that too, usually. If I get the sense that they're trying to pursue me and I'm not interested, that's when I do it. But if both people kind of like naturally step away, then I I don't do that because I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I had three dates. Thank you. I opened three different doors. Thank you. Uh And one of them got closed on me. The other one I would like to keep going through. And the other one I'm trying to figure out if I want to go into that door. Okay, here's my other question. On what are, are you on OkCupid? You're on Scruff? What are you on right now? I'm on, I'm on Scruff and Tinder. Do you have somewhere in your profile, are you clear that what you're looking for is a relationship and not just hooking up? Um, I say I'm into long-term relationships. And if it needs to be a quickie, then it's got to have a hard connection. Something like that. I tried to be clever. I don't know. And do you put yourself in positions aside from the apps to be meeting new people ever? Well, Ben, let's just remind us and our and our listeners where I live. <laughs> I live in a town where there are 7,500 people. So I am no longer living a couple of miles away from the Castro. Why do you think you're not in a relationship? Um, well, I can go kind of ph- philosophical and just go, ah, oh, it's not my time. This is, you know, this lifetime is not the time when I'm going to be in a relationship with somebody. That's bullshit. And oftentimes I think that. Um, And so then I go, uh, I'm too picky. And then I'm like, are you kidding? You're fucking desperate. You'd be with anybody who was interested in you. And then I go, oh, that's the problem. You're desperate. You want it too much. And Tommy, do you think you're desperate? Do you think you're scaring people away by being too, yes. by jumping in too fast? I would say that's my biggest thing is that I, that I want it, that I'm lonely. I'm lonely. You know, I'm also very clear and I'm very direct. So it's, you know, it's like, am I lonely and I'm being desperate or am I just being really clear and really direct? But and those are two different things bit, to me. Those are two different things to they me. They are. There's, they're two different things, but like, they can look the same. No, they can look the no, same. No, not if you're clear. There's neediness where you're constantly checking in with them and you want to make them happy and you don't have an identity except for wanting them. Right. And then there's being really clear and concise and being like, I'm 59. I'm not fucking around. I'm interested in relationships and I think you're great. I say I lean more towards the latter. Inside, I'm desperate, but I don't act on it. Why are you desperate? Oh my God, Ben, I'm fucking lonely. You got Lucy, the warty dog. (laughs) How can you be lonely? You have the hag. I feel sort of ill-equipped to give you relationship advice, Tommy. 
I'm ki- I kind of think I'm grasping at straws here, but I'm trying. I think you're doing well. Why are you single? Because I don't know anyone currently that I'm interested in being in a relationship with. Do you want to be single? I want to be single until I find someone that I want to date. So yeah, at the moment, I want to be single. That is so, that's such circuitous thinking. Why? Because... I don't want to be in a relationship for the sake of being in a relationship. I want to find someone that's that I think is great and is worthy of being in a relationship with me, the kind of relationship that I want. That's good. That's great. Are you pursuing that? Um, God, as much as you can during coronavirus. There's, there's one person that I've gone on two dates with. This guy's interesting. He's the kind of guy that I could see myself potentially being in a relationship with. We've only hung out twice. Um, but we seem to have pretty good chemistry. And he's smart. He's successful. He's handsome. And it's enjoyable spending time together. So my bottom line, and it's my top line also, is I need to be attracted to the person inside and out. Are you attracted to his insides as well as his outsides? <laughs> Don't say attracted to his insides. That's a weird phrase. <laughs> um <laughs> So far, yeah, I'm still getting to know him. Do you, does he have character? Does he have character? Character? Like, is yes. he, is he, what do you mean by that? Is he interesting? Does he make me laugh? No, no. Is he unique? No, no, no. No, character, character is, does he have integrity? Yes. Does, is he, yes. is he honorable? Yes. Is he trustworthy? Yes. I do think he's very much those things. He's honest. He's a great communicator. He's vulnerable. That's so important. It's so important. It's crucial for me that someone is a great yeah. communicator. Is he funny? Do you laugh together? He's not as funny as other people I've dated. But that's not... <laughs> I mean, I dated the funniest person I've ever met. And that was my ex. Jerry. That was Jerry. Jerry was the funniest person in every room. Um, and he was dazzling. And I felt a little overshadowed by it sometimes. Hmm. So um, this person isn't the funniest person I've ever met. And that's totally okay. Well, since this is the Susie Truss episode, I distinctly remember her saying, Tommy, if you cut your hair, you know you'd meet more men. When your hair was really long? Oh, yeah. She said that to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's not true. You have you have the best hair in the world. Your hair is like one of your defining characteristics. You know, that was at a, at a time when it was like the Reagan era in D.C. and I was the only hippie mm. in all of D.C. And gay men, gay men at that time, like how many gay men do you know that have long hair? I would say the same percentage of gay men that have long hair is this percentage of straight men with long hair. So it's not that many, but maybe more in LA because it's like hipster and cool. Yeah. I mean, I have long hair now. It's not as long as yours was, but it's one of people's favorite things about me. Mm. People love my long hair. People. are, And are those people the door, the doors that you would walk through? That's a good question. I don't know if I don't know if there's a difference between whether people who are interested in relationships versus people who are interested in hooking up like my long hair. I don't have data on that. I'll have to get back to you. Yeah. I should do an Instagram poll. <laughs> Does my long hair make you want to A, date me, or B, fuck me? Right, or C, run the other way. I mean, if you're the kind of person that doesn't want to be with someone because they have long hair, then I'm probably not interested in you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. The other thing Susie said to me um, was, don't go for the most beautiful people. Amen. She said the more interesting people are the less attractive. Usually. There are those people that are super interesting because they had yeah. to learn other skills in middle school because they weren't hot yet. And then suddenly they grew into their looks and they, you know, having already become really funny yeah. or really talented or whatever it is. And then suddenly they got the best of both worlds. But yeah. um, people that were su- like hot <laughs> shit in middle school usually suck. They do. They suck. 
because they never had to learn how to be anything else. The people that know how to play musical instruments and make everybody laugh and uh, be adventurous and, uh, you know, become fascinated with, you know, science or writing or something like that. All of those people usually turned to those things and those skills around that time. Right. Because it's what made them interesting and what made them stand out. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Next question. What were the times in your life when you feel like your gay uncle magic was especially needed? Okay, here's one. All of you all were asleep in the basement in the family room. And I came down in the middle of the night and I woke up Mariana and Sam. And I said, we're going for a car ride. Don't wake anybody up. How old were they? 14, 15. We got in grandpa's Miata, the three of us. And I drove us around the Beltway. And while we're going around, I said, you're about to enter into time periods in your life when things will happen that you're not sure you want to tell your parents or not. And I'm putting you in that situation in a, in a safe way. Uh, but it's not so safe because we're driving in a convertible and you guys aren't wearing seatbelts. What? Yeah. Tommy. I know. Why didn't you make them put their seatbelts on? It's a Miata. There's only room for one person. Okay. Well, number one, I never got a fun midnight Miata ride. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Hold on, Mr. Complainer. And I said, so, you know, you can tell your parents if you want. It's totally fine if you want to do that. I know. I said, do you think your parents will be angry? And they both were like, yeah, definitely. And I said, I get it. So it's up to you if you want to do it or not. And I'm okay if you do. And I'm okay if you don't. I'm just putting you in that situation because I know that you are entering into the age where that's going to happen with more frequency. And I want you to experience it with me being the one who catches the shit as opposed to like someone else who might have to catch the shit. Hmm. Um, Did either of them tell? No, I don't think they did. What was the impetus for that? Was it just that they were getting to the age in high school where people start drinking and having sex and all that, and you wanted to give them someone that they could trust and talk to and open up about? Yeah, maybe maybe had you had that car ride, you would have come to me with the dude who gave you, who went down on you when you were drunk at age 15. And I started crying. Yeah. Are there any other times when it wasn't about you seeing an opportunity and seizing it, and you were like, oh, my uncle magic is needed. I'm going to jump in and do something only, only a gay uncle can do. I mean, certainly, certainly when uh, um, the one that you mentioned, the way you started that email, Ben, by the way, was I always knew I was going to ask you this question. (laughs) And you were like, here we go. Well, you know what I thought was, oh, now he's playing the part of a gay man and he's going to ask me a question about what, you know, gayness, blah, blah, blah. Oh, like acting in a role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like acting. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) I'm in a play where I have to be a homosexual. <laughs> You're my homosexual uncle. What is it like, per se? What wrist what wrist exercises should I do to get in character? <laughs> and and then it was like, oh, okay. How do you ask a guy out? Oh my god. And so then when it was that, I was like, oh, yay, I get to do this. And I totally stepped into it. You thought you've told me this. You knew when I was younger that you thought that I was gay. Yes, but this was you saying that you were gay and that was totally different. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. But did you not at oh, some yeah. point think at some point Ben is going to come to me and come out to me? It was more of a of, of, a, of like an impatience kind of thing. It's like, um, hello, you're gay. 
when is that going to land on you? And when are you going to share that? I was just, I just had this thought and I was wondering if you had talked to me, if you had started that conversation instead of me, if I would have been open to it. And I don't know. Oh, I would never do that. I, I would never do that. Or even like if you had at some point sat me down and been like, hey, Ben, I want to talk to you about this. There's this thing called sexuality. And and I don't know where you are, but feel free to come and ask me any questions about anything. I, I would not have done that, Ben, because that that to me is your parents' responsibility. I never got a talk like that from them. Yeah, I know. They didn't even talk to me about sexuality in general. I got handed a book called Your Changing Body for Boys. And they were like, they sat me down and they were like, we got you a book and why don't you go read it? And if you have any questions, ask your father. (laughs) And I didn't have any questions. I just like, this book became my Bible. Hmm. I work with kids. I'm a nanny and the kids know that I'm gay and they have for years. And I've said to the kids, you'll see what I mean when you're dating a girl or a guy or whoever it is. I don't know, you know, and sometimes they'll be like, Ben. And I'm like, I don't know. Who knows? You might not even know. And they're like, okay, you know? So I just think that the more you talk about that stuff with kids, the easier it is for them to even consider it a possibility. Yes, I agree. I absolutely agree. And I definitely never got any indication that it was a possibility or acceptable for me to be a gay person. It's just curious to me that you felt like it was more acceptable for you to take my sister and my cousin for a Miata ride at 2 a.m. with no seatbelts <laughs> and tell them that there's going to come a time when they're going to start lying to their parents, you know, than, than to just say to me at one point who you thought was gay, like, hey, they're straight people and they're gay people. Your, par- your parents didn't want me to do that. They didn't. I talked to Anne about this. My mom, Anne. Yeah. For listeners. She said, the way that we are raising our children is when they ask us a question, then that's the time to talk about it. And we let the kids bring it up. My response was, well, you're giving them books about colors and numbers, but are you giving them books about sexuality? (laughs) You're not introducing it to them. Mm -hmm. And then that was when I gave you guys the book, you know, like, Uncle, Uncle Robert has a is marrying Johnny or whatever the fucking the story is. We never got that book. Yes, you did. No, we didn't. Well, maybe they never read it to you. I think that's what happened. Oh, well, I could easily see that be the case. And then that was my subtle way of going, hey, I'm a homo. If you're a homo, come talk to me. (laughs) If you want to join the homo club, (laughs) I'll be at Liza's. I'm a card carrying member. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a gay uncle to anybody who's not in the family? Do you feel like you are a gay mentor to anybody not me? I would say with less frequency, yes, I am. Like there are some neighbors who are walking by. There are a couple of queer boys, basically your age. We were talking about the coronavirus and and I was talking about the AIDS epidemic, what it was like when it came out, and was definitely giving them information around that that they would not have gotten from someone else. Yeah. They weren't coming to me seeking advice. Yeah, but it's. I think it's not just giving advice. It's sort of like being a representative, a positive representative of, uh, you could say, even like the gay community or like queer culture or something mm. like that, that somebody might not have otherwise. I think that's part of the job of a gay uncle as well. Yes, yeah. It's like just being a positive gay role. Like you were an incredible gay role model. You were my only gay role model. I didn't know any other gay people until 
I was in college. Wow. So what are you doing to stay sane uh, and, and grounded and to keep your heart open during the beginning of this epidemic? I'm starting a podcast with my gay uncle, <laughs> which feels good. I went on a bike ride the other day, and that just felt so good to be like out and on a bike. And I don't even know if that's going to be allowed if there's like 24-hour lockdown and you literally can't leave your home. It's hard. Um, interacting with people helps, being creative. Just having something to do has been really helping me. But I don't really know how to answer that question because it's just started. So I don't know if the things that are helpful for me right now will be helpful in a week or a month. I think the thing that troubles me most is not having to stay home or having to limit the number of people I see or any of the f literal things. I think it's the fact that we're facing this disastrous global epidemic and there's nothing that I can do about it. It's like the helplessness of it is what's, is what's really unsettling to me. Yeah. So I read this book called The Body Keeps the Score about uh, post-traumatic stress. And um, the author says that there's fight and flight and freeze. If you're in a situation where you can't fight or flight because you've either frozen or because you are literally incapable of helping the situation or leaving it, like, you know, in, in many kinds of child abuse or maybe in war, um, that's where uh, PTSD is often created. That if you are held at gunpoint, but then you fight the guy off and grab his gun, or you even just run away and get away, that oftentimes that does not cause PTSD, but what causes PTSD is the helplessness of it and not being able to do anything about it. And that's what I feel is like this helplessness of, I'm just waiting to find out if one of my friends gets coronavirus or passes it along, or if one of my grandparents dies or, you know, and there's nothing I can do about it. That's what's unsettling. Is it, is it death? Are you scared of death and losing people? Uh, that's one of the things. It's the big picture of it. It's like, it's, like the, it's like the world is going to be irreparably changed by not only the death. And you're, and you're scared of yes. that. You're scared I'm of scared that. of the world being irreparably yeah. changed. Yeah. I'm scared of all of the loss. I'm scared of this, you know, the fact that the market and the, uh, the economy and just like everything, people's careers are like already down the drain and it's only been four days of you know the quarantine right. it's like what is it going to look like in a month what is it going to look like in it's just it's frightening yes i totally i and i completely agree with all of that it is frightening i'm wondering do you feel like you're gonna be okay in that process like are you going to make choices that you feel are smart and wise i hope so i think you will ben i think you're connected to your intuition and i think you are savvy, you're a problem solver, and you're a great communicator. I mean, if you have those principles, then then you're going to be okay. Who knows if you're going to get the virus or not, or if your loved ones are going to get the virus or not. But it's how we are, how we respond to it, that to me, I think is important. You know, you've got character. <laughs> uh, and, and so I think you'll do well. And that doesn't mean there isn't going to be hardship. Of course there will be. And that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be loss. But it's how we respond to it. You know, we're being put to test. Yeah. And, and one of the major tests in this is it's unfamiliar. And it's an unknown that none of us have experienced. Not to this degree. Yeah. Uh, oops, sorry. Someone's at my door. Hi. Yeah. Hi. What's up? 
Kathleen and I are going to sit down by the river for a little while if you want to come down. Okay. Thanks, Andrea. Sure. Thanks, Andrea. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yesterday I was depressed. I woke up depressed. I woke up anxious. I woke up nervous. And that rarely happens to me. And instead of ignoring it or denying it, I was like, okay, I'm going to be depressed. I'm going to be sad. I'm going to fall in and out of napping. I'm going to cry. I'm going to not get out of, you know, off my couch. And around five o'clock, because I went into it, I came out of it. Because you opened yourself up to yeah. the negative emotions as yeah. opposed to trying not to feel them. Yeah. You came out the other side of them. That's helpful. I think that's hard for a lot of people. That's hard for me. I've always used things to not feel negative emotions. If I sit down at the piano, I can usually play something and forget about whatever's bothering me. If I go on a run or if I go work out, I can almost always get a little endorphin high and like start feeling great. Maybe the skill is to know when to do that and when to do the other. Mm. My intuition said fall into it. And I did. And other times it's like, no, you got you to put on earth, wind and fire and just fucking clean your apartment. Yeah, earth, wind and fire. You know? Yeah. Okay, here's a fun thing. Your coronavirus name is... Oh my God. ...is the way you currently feel plus the last thing you ate out of your cabinet. I am anxious mayonnaise. Wow. It was vegan mayonnaise. <laughs> I'm, I'm contented chocolate. Yeah, baby. <laughs> okay, here's my last question for you. Oh, this is like a whole episode in itself. I'll do the cursory. I'll do the cursory drag queen response. What's the cursory drag queen response? No, I don't want that response. Well, you gotta give me the question, goddammit. Okay, here's the question. Why do you think gay icons tend to be women? Why do gay people not iconize people of their own community? the way they iconize women? Well, that feels like two different questions. Say the first question again, then. Why do you think gay icons are almost always women? Because gay men want to be women. I don't think that's true. That was my drag queen bitchy response. No, I want the real response. I want the gay uncle response. This isn't called Ask Your Drag Queen. That's another show. (laughs) (laughs) I know for me, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Judy Garland, not Gene Kelly. I wanted to be Sid Charisse, not Fred Astaire, because it was the woman who got the guy. The guy never got the guy. Mm. And I wanted to get the guy. So I needed to be a woman. Or that's who I connected with. Or that's who I modeled myself after. That never occurred. You really think that's what it is? I don't know if that's what it is. Yeah, I certainly love Judy Garland, but I love Judy Garland because she was fucking talented and brilliant. And, and... There, there's not a single straight gay man who is as talented and brilliant as she was. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. Okay, who? Uh, you're going to make me list people that are incredibly talented? As talented and as brilliant as Judy Garland, who are, who are gay men. Oh my God. I can, I could list so many. And you haven't said a single one, Ben. You've just kept saying you could. Tommy, I refuse to believe that gay men iconize women because women are more talented than men. I'm not saying they're more talented. You said you love Judy Garland because she was the most talented person ever and nobody was near as talented as her. And I refuse to believe that that's the reason why gay men iconize women. I think gay men iconize women because gay men refuse to iconize other gay men. There are phenomenal, talented, successful, amazing gay men that are not iconized. We would rather adore Britney Spears or Liza or Judy or Madonna than be like, you know what, Neil Patrick Harris is awesome. Or Pete Buttigieg is groundbreaking and got farther in politics than any other gay man. (laughs) Um, 
Why does that? Why are you laughing at that? It honestly like makes me frustrated that we don't celebrate our own people. Yes, I. I, I if anything, we we look down on them. Well, sometimes. I yeah, I mean, be careful of generalizations here, but. Oh come on! Pete Buttigieg was like abandoned by the gay community for like not being gay enough. Well, and Obama was. I mean, he wasn't abandoned, but he was criticized for not being black enough. You know, I mean, it's like we do that to our own people. Yeah. Why? I think there's a sense of safety in it that, that there isn't that there isn't competition. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not a a straight woman. A talented straight woman is easier to idolize because they're not a threat because you don't have to compete with them. Could be. I don't know. You know, Ben. It's. I think we need to look more specifically at who the people are. The question is a, is a bit too general. I think looking specifically would miss the forest for the trees. <laughs> I do. I think that I think that there's a lot of truth in what you said that it's not competition. I think the gay community can be incredibly competitive with each other. I think here's another thing, which is these are people who were doing stuff that I think a lot of queer men wanted to be able to do. They wanted to be able to sing, they wanted to be able to be flamboyant, they wanted to be able to belt it out, they wanted to be able to get the guy. They wanted to be able to um, be a star. Hmm. You know, they wanted to be able to be sexy. They wanted to be able to wear whatever they wanted to wear. You know, I'm looking at, at Madonna, at Judy Garland, at Britney Spears, at, you know, Lady Gaga. You know, these are all people who are like balls out. Fuck you. I don't care what you have to say. And so I wonder if there's a thing there around people who are marginalized wanting to hold up someone who is saying, fuck you to the world and not feeling safe enough to do that on my own. So I'll do it by loving this person who's doing it for me. You know, so in absentia, I am doing it by saying Bette Midler is amazing. And she's going around, you know, in a wheelchair wearing a mermaid outfit, performing in men's bathhouses. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, there's the, there's the idolization of, of, of drag queens. Yeah. A lot of that is around saying, I am different, and it's okay to be different. And in fact, I'm being celebrated for my difference. I like that answer. I think the reason why I asked that question, and it was sort of an unfair question because I think I had my own answer to it already. Well, it's true. But the reason why I asked it was because it's been on my mind a lot, and I have just been frustrated with feeling like the gay community doesn't celebrate each other as often as I wish they did. Oh. Oh, yeah. That's the old Groucho Marx thing. Why would I want to be a part of a club that would accept me? Yeah. I think there's a lot of, like, learned self-loathing in the gay community and, oh, yeah. and, God, so many other things. The internal homophobia. Totally. Well, on that note, that was Ask Your Gay Uncle. <laughs> right. Well, you know, Ben, it's it goes back to Philip asking you, is your uncle gay? Right. And and having the strength to stand up, you know, and not that you were an asshole at age 13 or 12, whatever. Yeah. We as a community don't always have the strength to celebrate who we are. Yeah, that's a lot of weight to put on little 12 year old Ben, though. Oh, it sure is. I'm not putting it on. I'm not putting it on 12 year old Ben. Yeah, I think it is. It's it's endemic in in our community. But it's you know, I mean, that's oftentimes the response of a marginalized community. You know, we just like to judge each other and judge ourselves. Okay. I accept that answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. 
Yeah. Ask Your Gay Uncle is created by Tom Truss and Ben Palacios, with production support by me, Jackie Anders. Album artwork by Seth Shellhouse. Theme song and musical interludes by Ben Palacios and Dan Reuter. Special thanks to Matt Marr, the University of Texas at Austin QT Voices, and everyone who sent us questions. If you'd like to ask a question for Tommy and Ben to answer on the podcast, leave us a message at 512-981-7332 or email ask at askyourgayuncle.com. Find us on Facebook at Ask Your Gay Uncle Podcast. More information at askyourgayuncle.com.